God performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. He bestows rain on the earth. He sends water upon the countryside. I don't know about you, but I was woken up, I don't know what time it was, by a lot of rain um, this morning. And of course, we've got a lot of rain now, but of course, we are so thankful for the rain that God sends on the earth and for giving us water. And God sustains our life and we want to worship him now. So we're going to start our service this morning with with two songs. The first is Come, Now is the Time to Worship, and the second is God of Glory. They're all going to appear on the screen, uh, but I've also put the numbers up for the ones that are in the books if you'd like to follow in the book. God of glory, you do indeed reign in majesty, and we thank you and we praise you for this time to come together now and to focus on the one who gave everything for us, your son, the lovely Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for bringing us all here safely this morning, and we welcome you here in this place now. Please accept the offering of our worship, and please bless us as we share fellowship together this morning. Father, we ask this prayer through the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to have the uh, announcements and, and the collections in just a little while, but before we do that, for the sake of me standing up halfway through um, Richard's announcements, I'd just like to tell you a little bit about what's going to be happening next Sunday evening. Um, next Sunday evening, uh, the title for the evening, it has changed, uh, it's called The Gift. And what I'm hopefully going to be doing is just having a time of worship together, Christmas worship, but it's mainly focused on Jesus, the gift, the most important gift. Um, and hopefully it's suitable for, going to be suitable for all, so it'd be really great to see the hall filled with as many people so that we can raise the roof with our worship together. Okay, if you bow your heads and we'll pray together. God of love, we thank you, and we've said thank you already for bringing us safely here this morning. And Lord, we know that there are some of our number who can't be with us this morning for whatever reason. And Father, we just want to bring them before you now and to ask that you will bless them in whatever circumstances they, they find themselves in. We ask that they will feel your loving arms around them at this time. Father, we've heard about the, the sad passing of Peter's stepson and it's a, a horrible time for, for the family and we ask that you would be, be with them. May they be comforted by your love. And also uh, with Norman, as well, and his family. Father, we ask that you would also be with, with Trevor this week. Father, he starts his new job, and that's a stressful time for those of us that have, that have been through that, and we ask that you would be with him. Please give him the strength that he needs in his new surroundings, in his new circumstances, and be with him, and help him to be the best for you in his new job. 
Lord, we also praise you and give thanks to you for your healing and especially for John's nephew, Chris, uh, who has wowed all the doctors, as we've heard, and come through his illness. And we, we thank you for that. Father, there will be other worries and concerns, also other times of joy that have not been shared with us this morning, but are on the hearts and the minds of those of us here. Please hear those prayers, whatever they are, and we ask that you bless us all once more in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to uh, continue our worship together now, and we're going to sing uh, Praise the Lord number 161, Faithful God. We'll sing this through three times. We're going to uh, read from God's Word now, and Mark's going to be speaking to us later, and he's going to be basing his thoughts on Hebrews chapter 11, and I've asked Becky if she'll come and read that to us now. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death, he could not be found, because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. <coughs> By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. <coughs> By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him, him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. <coughs> people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. (coughs) He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. (coughs) Abraham reasoned that God would raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be ill-treated among the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, 
endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thanks, Becky. Before Mark comes and speaks to us, we're going to sing again. And we're going to sing, praise the Lord, number 299, Your grace is sufficient for me. Mark's going to come and speak to us. Wow. If I get through that glass of water, that would be a a challenge in itself this morning. Good morning, uh, everybody. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And opening my Bible to think about what I was going to talk about today and looking at what was on the daily reading planner and thought, wow, I've no choice. I have to talk about this chapter. What I'm going to say, I'm not sure at that point. But that was a verse I remember learning probably as an 11-year-old boy at Sunday school and it probably took me three weeks to learn that verse at Sunday school until I got it drilled into me that that was a key verse you had to know from your Bible. Faith, the absolute bedrock of our lives. And, and here, I think Paul, in, uh, in, in this chapter in Hebrews, demonstrates some of the examples of faith that God wants us to learn from, to build on. But it's a Bible list of names. And how many times do we get to a Bible list of names and, and think, oh, it, it can be a bit boring, it's things we think we know about, characters that, that, that are invisible to us, we don't know anything about them perhaps. And yet, this isn't one of those lists, I don't think. It's such an impressive list of, of, of Old Testament believers and their amazing accomplishments. And you can't help but note as you're reading through that, that almost every verse is, by faith, by faith, by faith, these things happen. And, and, and what a list. The Lord Jesus Christ himself reminds us that faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. And look at the things that these people achieved. We go through the righteous offering of Abraham, of Abel. Abraham being called from the comfort zone of where he lived to, to go to the promised land. Sarah, the, the, the belief in the, in the promises that she would give birth. We go through Isaac and, and the lifestyle that they chose to lead Joseph and Moses and, and, and the great acts of faith to lead people from, from Egypt through. The faith of a people walking around the walls of Jericho, that event, you know, takes such amount of faith to walk around some wall to think, well, this is going to have any effect whatsoever. And in faith, that simple action produced results. And through faith, all these people were commended by God for the things that they did because of their faith. But was that always a good outcome? You know, that the early part of the chapter seems very much these people did good things and good outcomes arose from that for them uh, and for others. And when we get to the end of the chapter, it changes a little bit, doesn't it? We, we get some more of the difficulties and the dangers. 
Verse 35, others were tortured, refused to be released, that they might get a better resurrection. Some faced jeers, flogging, others chained, put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They were destitute. They were persecuted. They were ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. There were some for whom the reprieve from their work of faith never came in their life. And yet they were all commended by God for their faith. Now, I find that a very humbling chapter to read through that. I I look at that and think, what about my own faith? How do I compare my own faith against those characters? How do I begin to learn something about what, what is it that I can do in my life that, to take something from those amazing examples? You know, here we are, faith as small as a mustard seed can do amazing things and, and I'm left to think, is mine more like the Higgs boson size, almost invisible? Does it even exist sometimes? Is it, is it there? It just feels invisible. And when I look at these people, I think, you know, I'm sure they all asked the Lord for help and and some relieved that deliverance and others received an answer similar to the one that Paul had when he pleaded for his thorn to be removed that as we sung that my grace is sufficient for you my strength is made perfect in weakness and so no matter where we think we are on that scale of faithfulness we can take great encouragement from what the Lord says to us whenever we act in faith no matter how big how small that step is. We act, when we act in faith and in God's strength, we do obtain a commendation from him, no matter what the outcome for us might be. Because God has called us to grow in faith. One of the ways we grow in faith is by doing faithful things. And doing faith is going to be different for every single person here and every, every believer. But we know we have to show, we have to prove our faith through our works. James 2.26 says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. But the question I often ask when, uh, when I ponder my own life is, how do I know when I've actually done a work of faith or something which maybe I was just going to do anyway, or something that my neighbour would have done who doesn't believe. They could have done the same thing. What makes my actions different to somebody else's? I was thinking this week about a good friend. And on Wednesday she got a difficult decision to make. Would she go to work or not? And she's a believer. And she decided on, on strike day that that her faith had dictated that she should go to work. Regardless of her feelings about the rights and wrongs of the protest outside her place of work, she decided in faith, morally, going to, to work to help the people in society she works with was the right thing to do. It. And, and it, she knew it was never going to be easy, and, and the abuse that she took as she walked into work was quite severe. But some of her fellow colleagues also went to work as well alongside her. 
they walked into the building at the same time, they did the same action. But I suspect not all for the same reason as my friend did. And it's that faith, the motivation behind that work which the Lord commends. Think about Noah. And as I was preparing this, I, there's something struck me in verse 7 that I'd not dawned on me before as I read Hebrews 7. You know, it's one of those chapters we read so much. Verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear he built an ark to save his family. And by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is, comes by faith. By faith Noah condemned the world. So I was left thinking, well, how, how did Noah, by faithful works, condemn the world? I've heard it said before, if you've got a, a crooked stick and you're trying to describe how crooked and off-centre off and, and uneven this stick is, the simplest thing to do is, is, is not to waste time with words trying to describe it and geometric shapes and things to, to, to put words to it, but just put a straight stick next to it. And if you put a straight stick next to a crooked stick, it's very obvious how crooked the stick is. Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And, and the New Testament in Second Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Now, none of his sermons are recorded for us. So, we're left to wonder what does God want us to learn as, as Noah as a preacher of righteousness? And I suggest it wasn't words that he said, but it was just that willing obedience to God in building the ark that stands as his greatest witness to, to a self-centred, to the violent generation that was around him. It, it was that faithful obedience which commended him to God and therefore condemned the world. It is easier, isn't it, to be critical of the sins, the faults of others, to point them out, to, to vocalise and, and verbalise what those problems are it's so much harder and so much more challenging but, but so much more powerful to demonstrate the grace and the righteousness of God by, by living for him out that, that life of faith. So, the challenge to me as I, as I thought about Hebrews 11 was how do I begin to think and how do we begin to think for ourselves what is a work of faith rather than just something we would have done normally? naturally and I thought maybe there were six criteria you could use to help and these are risk taking a benefit test the motive test spirituality delayed reward and personal hardship I'm going to think about each of those and, and see what you think risk taking faith isn't faith unless it involves an element of the unknown, going beyond your own natural comfort zone. Now, we all know ultimately, and we're, we're told that God is ultimately in control, but we don't know the extent to which he'll let us go, to, before we falter, before we suffer, before he might, if he will, step in. 
And we look at these characters here. Abram went beyond his comfort zone when he left Ur. The Lord Jesus Christ went there on Calvary. When we thought about Daniel earlier in the year, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego went there in the furnace. Ananias went there when he went to lay his hands on Paul. We go there when we undertake any venture that's perhaps going to stretch our, our personal resources in some way, whether that's a physical thing, going somewhere physically that's going to be challenging, whether we're going somewhere emotionally that's going to be a challenge for us, maybe financially. And I don't think we've got to be mistaken when we read Hebrews 11. These people here didn't lack fear. They didn't lack anxiety. They had as much as the next person, I'm sure. But they endeavoured to act in faith in spite of fear, in spite of anxieties. They put their hand into God's invisible hand and moved forward in faith. What about the benefit test? I think this is a test which says someone benefits from the activity. And in context, what I mean is much of the ritual of religious faith, I think, can miss that point, whether it's the fingering of a rosary bead or whether it's back in the Old Testament law of sacrificing an animal, that, that there isn't a personal benefit from those activities. But when James tells us, you know, when we visit the widow in her affliction, you know, we, both parties benefit. The person who's visited grows the person who's visited receives hopefully an element of comfort. Maybe it was a challenge to go because it was a bit of a risk. It, it was outside your emotional comfort zone. You went feeling uncomfortable. What, what am I going to say? I, I don't know that I've got anything to say. But nevertheless, you took the risk and did something of, of value for someone else. And usually what benefits the recipient also benefits the giver, but differently. And, and I think about occasionally when I'm asked to teach at youth church. Hopefully, both parties benefit, myself in preparing something and, and, and the kids. You, you get that intangible feeling of knowing that you've stretched yourself. And hopefully moving to a, a higher level of, 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 of faith. These examples are going to be different, of course, to everybody in the room, you know, for some teaching at youth church is no challenge whatsoever, it's just something that, that comes and, and, and is done. For others, it is an act of faith because it is a challenge to do that. There is, however, a benefit from that loving application of faith. The giver and receiver both gain from works of faith. What about motive? the third one that I thought about, the motive for our works. The heart is deceitful above all else, and who can know it? Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17. And, and when I search my heart, and when I have those personal conversations with, with others, which of us can say that we always have an entirely pure motive of, of love, of service, of devotion when we do a work of faith? I suggest we all lack the pure perfectness of, of heart that, that allows us to make those judgments sometimes. Everywhere, I'm going to just give up there. We, we can nurture. We can nurture a good, a correct motive. 
motivation you know, shouldn't come from a desire to earn some sort of commendation from God. Uh, Elaine and I jokingly call this kingdom points in our house. When one of us feels like we've done something good and we might say, oh, I did that today. We'll jokingly remind each other, oh, you've got a couple of kingdom points for that then. That isn't the way it works. <laughs> and, and that's our sort of way of reminding each other that you don't earn salvation by doing things. Um, but from a desire that comes from within to show our Father how much we appreciate what he has already done for us. It's a response. We, we do works because God has already given us salvation in Christ, not because it's something we can earn. And as we sung, you know, his grace is sufficient. We do good because of the grace already given to us. Let's have a look at Ephesians and um, chapter 2 please (coughs) Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 for it's by works you've been saved oh no sorry it's by grace you've been saved through faith and that's not from yourselves it's the gift of God it's not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to what? to sit and wait for Jesus to come back to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do And I think we begin to see this this connection between maybe an an academic theology and and, and living faith to the extent that the greater that we perceive the true character of the Lord Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father, likewise we begin to understand more more the the desperately feeble nature that we bear, that that we carry. And therefore we grow in our understanding of what that reconciliation of those two things, those two opposites, really means. So as as we grow in our understanding about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ, and ultimately about ourselves, we greater appreciate atonement, and with that comes our appreciation of, of grace. And from that springs a greater desire of heartfelt thanks, of gratitude, of honour through which we can offer works of faith. So I'm going to suggest that that the motive for works of faith develops more and more from the depth of our knowledge, from the depth of our experience of God's grace. A superficial belief in grace might only yield minimal works of faith, but it will leave plenty of room for for legalistic ritual, for some vain attempts at self-justification about what we do and how we do it. What did I think about next? Um, Spirituality. And that, I mean, um, that the works of faith that we do should be in line with the principles of the kingdom of God. And we could take lots of risks in many ways. We can offer useful services to lots of people but remain entirely, entirely materialistic in our thinking. So, what, what example can I give you for that? Well, 
But this is one which, which came to mind, so this is another weakness I'm laying bare before you. When, when Alex comes around to help me uh, with my DIY, you know, and my DIY skills are truly horrendous, and Alex is growing himself in, perhaps in, in patience and many other fruits of the Spirit as he comes to, uh, <laughs> comes to help me. You know, even if it's a pure motive, even if there is a benefit to others, I suggest Alex isn't doing that for a spiritual reason. You know, there's not a spiritual growth involved in that, in reality. And I really mean sort of the spiritual benefits for others. And maybe, Alex, you do help Elaine also understand patience as well also in that. Being patient for all these jobs that she's got to be done. Just be patient. It'll happen. Or not. (laughs) So how do we help each other grow in the values of the kingdom? How do we help ourselves and others grow in the fruit of the Spirit? Because I I don't want to walk away, people walk away from here thinking that material acts are not spiritual acts, because they are, they can be. James 2, if anyone wants to turn this up, James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food and one of you says to you, go in peace, keep warm, keep well fed, but there's nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, not accompanied by action, is dead. 1 John 3:17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has not pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? The material becomes spiritual when faith and love impel the giver. Spiritual benefit is not just about teaching from the Bible. The loving kitchen service of Martha is just as spiritual as the lessons as the audience has just heard. But then, just dealing in spiritual things, if one was just to talk from the Bible, that that direct teaching from the Bible doesn't necessarily qualify as spiritual. The exhortation given with a political intent has lost it, its spirituality. The next thing I thought about was delayed reward. As a, as a test of whether works of faith deals in these principles. Hebrews 11 verse 39 says, All these people were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. Resurrection, judgment, the kingdom of God, all lie in the future. Under many of the the structures in which we live now, the reward is either immediate or within the next quarterly one-to-one with your boss, or, you know, a, a, a very short space of time. And under the law of Moses... It was similarly, it was about giving an immediate reward of righteousness by ticking a box. And that's how faith changes us. It raises us from from an animal level of needing immediate gratification to a spiritual level, a faithful level of, of delayed reward. You know, we might never have the tangible evidence in our lives of God's recognition of our faith. But that means we, we, we can, we should be ready to live our whole lives devoted to the service and calling 
who saves us by his grace without the need for positive reinforcement along the way. You know, and Elaine reminded me, maybe this is a, a husbandly point, you know, of, of needing reassurance. When, whenever Elaine comes in, there's usually a list given of the things that have been achieved while she's been away. I've done the washing up, the house is tidy, I've put the back round the lounge, wait, waiting for the pat on the head for doing it. And I, I never get that from Elaine, making the contrast when I walk in. I don't get the list of things that Elaine has done during the week. So maybe it's a husbandly thing, I don't know. <laughs> but faith dispenses with that immediate tangible rewards entirely. And of course I'm reminding us that we, we, we aren't doing our works for the sake of receiving a reward, which would go against the motivation of grace. The last thing I thought about was personal hardship. The work of faith, I mean, whether what we do are acts of, of building our faith. So I started with belief. Belief about God. Belief about the Lord Jesus Christ. does take some faith. The amount of that faith will vary from an individual to an individual. For some it's very little faith to accept that this is God's word, that the Lord Jesus Christ is God's son, that God exists, that God created the heavens and the earth. Because after all, it's a, it, we do present and try and present a simple, a logical faith which should only require a childlike intellect to, to grasp. But the implications of belief may take massive faith. Believing the simple gospel has cost many people their lives, their families, their jobs, and it should cost all of us all of our worldly ambition. A change in somebody's moral code could require great faith. I know that immorality can have, a, can have a great, enormous, sensual pull to it. It could take great faith for somebody hooked on a vice to quit. It could take great faith for someone to remain in a very difficult marriage. It could take great faith for a brother or sister to remain a virgin until they were married. But what about the acts of service that we do for and to each other? How do these and do they manifest our faith? Perhaps they do. Maybe to some just coming this morning was a big act of faith. For others, stepping into a role within the church could be the opposite. It could be a deceptive moment of, of self-grandisement, an exercise of power and control. For some, not stepping into the role might be the greater act of faith because you know that you don't belong there. So our service to each other is a behaviour but the attitude behind it makes it either a work of faith or, or not. And it's really difficult to make that judgment. It's difficult to make that judgment about yourself, never mind to think about anybody else. So what about other activities? Giving, I started with. Now, as a church, you know, as Christadelphians, we don't have a legalistic rule about tithing. We don't say that everybody's got to give 10, 15, 20% of their income to 
God to charity. And there was a brother at Blackpool I was brought up, every time he was presiding, gave out the collection bags, would stand up and smile and say, God loves a cheerful giver. So smile when you put it in. <laughs> and I, I, so we should aim to give generously out of the abundance that's been given to us. And, and maybe... You know, as, as we move towards the end of the year and into a new year and maybe we, we think again about the budgets that we have and where we do spend our money, I'm going to suggest that we only give enough when we put a dent into perhaps the materialistic lifestyle that we've got. That's when we give in faith. Preaching. Now, we don't have to go abroad to preach what about the people we meet regularly what about the good friends that we have, the neighbours that we have are we, are we absolutely sure they fully know what really motivates us and if we can't be sure about that why, why is that what's the true value of their friendship to us if we can't bring ourselves to do that another act of of service and um, I, I write this and I was awake for an extra hour last night on top of the hours that Isabel allowed me to be awake last night thinking about this and, and I put this together with, with a, a due sense of, of awareness that this is uh, overly generalising so don't shoot me down afterwards but do you want a job with low recognition? Very rarely are there any benefits back. Very rarely are there benefits attaching. There's no pay. There's hard hours. And often seemingly ungrateful clients. Do we want to care for those elderly, infirm members of our community? No. Difficult acts of faith for many to continue to do that for people to start doing that. Doing something new, doing something different is another act of faith. You know, somebody first started a Sunday school. Somebody first started doing Bible talks on a Sunday evening. Somebody opened the first orphanage. And, you know, there are, we're so well blessed as a church to, to have so many venues to already that exist already to express our faith. The greatest faith perhaps comes from those creative, from those visionary minds who are willing to take risks, who are willing to take the increased investment of resources necessary to promote and fulfil a new idea. And, you know, the work at Ashton, you know, is, is a great work of faith, which we, we pray that God will continue to bless. What about more personally? What about the openness and honesty that we have with each other? Generally, I think, we usually communicate with each other on quite a superficial level. We probably have, individually, little small groups of, of brothers, sisters with whom we can feel able to discuss some of the tougher issues of life. Even smaller, perhaps even zero, is the group to whom we could confess sins who we could confess our real struggles, our real fears 
too. And that takes real faith, as it's one of the riskiest activities we could try and do. And as such, I wonder whether a rich part of our discipleship is missed when we masquerade as as healthy and strong, when inside we might have hearts of anger, of sorrow, of fear. We need to share our humanity and support each other with love and without judgment. I wonder whether it's risky to reveal and confide in individuals because perhaps so few of us know how really, how properly to provide support. You know, we look back at one's own experiences and broken confidences, judgmental condemnation, misguided attempts to heal, to fix. But, you know, they all await, don't they? The, the person, the unfortunate person who is, is willing to take that risk who might already be near breaking point. If we better knew each other, we would know how better to support one another. We could add immensely to the quality of the pastoral work that we do. And this aspect of faith requires no money, there's no international travel involved, there's no physical danger, but that's the aspect that can take the most internal strength. To remain faithful as a church, as a faithful body, we have to do the works of faith. We can't just rely on knowledge of the Bible. Because that doesn't necessarily of itself take faith. We can stay moral, we can stay busy, and still not have faith. We can develop the loveliest of characters, and still fall short. True faith encompasses our whole being. Only self-sacrifice fully describes the criteria that tests faith and that doesn't mean going without this or that or the other in our lives it means the full slaying of of ourselves the purposeful deliberate willful sacrifice of the self of the flesh after the example of our Lord Jesus this must take faith because it counters every desire every impulse every human thought that we have when we grow in Christ and we put down the, 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 the characteristics of those things which naturally affect us, that's when we begin to grow in faith. A body of spiritually alive brothers and sisters will know faith, will do faith, will keep faith. So, I'd like us to end just by reading that last verse I think we read together in Hebrews 12. And... <coughs> We do this keeping and doing our works of faith by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honour beside God's throne. Thank you very much, Mark. We're going to share the meal of love together now not only with each other but of course with our risen Lord Jesus and Trevor's going to come and give thanks for the bread thanks Trevor Lord Jesus you saw the hope before you and you had faith in your father 
you had faith in your father that he would raise you from the dead. And as such, you went through all things. And you did it for us. Father, so many things get in our way. So my prayer now as we pass bread to each other is that we do exactly what it says in Hebrews and throw off whatever stands in the way of the sin that entangles, that gets between you and us so that we can, as Mark just said, fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus. Fix our eyes not just on your sacrifice but on your glorious life and your glorious resurrection. So, Father, please bless this bread for us and help it again to convict us to be faithful to what you have promised and help us grow in our relationship with you. Amen. sharing the broken body of our risen King. Our dear loving Father, we come now just to take a drop of wine. When we think of love, Father, we think of all the, the generous things in life. We think of kindness, think of happiness we think of wonder at times I don't suppose any of us would think of shedding blood as an act of love normally but Father you take us away from the normal things and you bring us face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ dying for our sins and it is an act of faith to believe that but dear Father, we're here this morning sharing this wine because we do believe. And we thank you for that gift of belief, that gift of faith. So Father, please bless us now as we share this cup. In Jesus' name, Amen. The blood of Christ spilled for each and every one of us. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Through faith, we now stand in the grace of God because of what Jesus did for us. We're going to finish with the time of worship now and the first two songs that we're going to sing are all about lifting up the name of Jesus. So let's stand and worship God together now and Jesus and we'll sing Behold the Man. <laughs> 